Episode 27. This is the story of Two True Freaks. You can read along with me in your book. You will know it is time to turn the page when you hear R2-D2 beep like this. Let's begin now. I find their illogic and foolish emotions a constant irritant. Then transfer out, freak! Two! I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubblegum. Cheap, lying, no good, rotten, fork-flushing, low-life, snake-licking, dirt-eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, blood-sucking, dog-kissing, brainless, dickless, hopeless, heartless, fat-ass, bug-eyed, stiff-legged, spotty-legged, and now, together by live simulation via the internet, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. Hi, and welcome back to Two True Freaks. Um, I'm Chris Honeywell, and I'm here with my co-freak, the man that author Oscar Wilde based his short novella, Picture of Dorian Gray, on, Mr. Scott Gardner. How's it going? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, how's it going? You doing all right? Yeah, we're on our fourth month of Star Wars Monthly Mondays. Yeah, it's flown by. Has man, this is it's it's going, and this this is this is promising to be a really good episode because we're we're getting into uh, some special episodes, uh, at least special to to my to my uh, sentimentality on the uh, the Marvel comic Star Wars. Sure. So I'm, I'm itching into them, and we're up to our fourth episode of the uh, Clone Wars, the the new uh, CG Clone Wars, which. Uh I guess we'll get into right now. We'll whip through this so we can get to the the awesome comics. Not that this is yeah. an awesome episode. I actually really like this episode. It had a lot of it, it. Maybe it wasn't as visually stunning as as some of the last episodes that we've seen, but it it was a good just Star Wars action story. And I guess I'll give a little synopsis of it. I guess to start out is uh, in in the last one they've sort of uh, messed up. General Grievous's uh, a ship, and they've they've destroyed the the giant ion cannon on the side. So he's limping away, and uh, they're chasing him down and firing on him. And uh, he's getting ready to go into hyperspace when um, Count Dooku comes in on the radio and says, "Hey, look, you know, you're screwing this up. We've got you know a senator on on the way here for you to kidnap to just to get some uh, a little bit of leverage, so you don't totally screw this thing up." Grievous is kind of insulted by this, but, you know, he's not going to look a gift horse in the mouth. So, of course, um, Padme has been deceived by um, Palpatine, or told by Palpatine, you know, that they had certain information. So she's going, expecting a certain thing. She, she pops out of hyperspace right in front of, uh, what's what's the name of uh, the giant ship? 
The, male- male- the malevolence. The malevolence. Yes, she pops out right in front of the malevolence, which is burning and falling apart and being pursued by Obi-Wan and, and their troops and the Jedi, and she's instantly grabbed by their tractor beam and pulled in. So she's in the ship, and as as she's getting pulled in by the tractor beam, you know, she um she gets back to uh, Anakin in the ship in Ahsoka and tells him, you know, I'm being captured. So, of course, rescue is mounted with Obi-Wan and Anakin. In the meantime, she sets her ship to overload and explode, and then gets off the ship just in time for Grievous and his men to come on the ship and just as it's about to explode Grievous figures it out almost makes it out but the ship blows up he's unharmed generally pretty pissed off after that meanwhile um, Anakin and Obi-Wan have have found an airlock and have entered the ship and started communicating with Padme so they're they're, going to make their way into the center of the ship where they can meet and get out so they get to the center part of the ship, which turns out to be basically just a giant transportation section, it looks like, to get from one end of the ship to another with these big, long, basically tram trains going all over the place. So they, they, they meet up, they see each other, Podmaids with uh, 3PO, they're, they're up at the top with uh, R2, and they see Padme getting chased, so Anakin goes after, they get split up, An- Anakin goes after Padme, 3PO ends up, you know, in, in 3PO sadistic mode, gets smashed around and is sent off in another re- direction. So Obi-Wan goes after 3PO to retrieve 3- 3PO. So basically everybody's sort of split up in the ship and they decide, and they, they know the ship's about to go into hyperdrive. So they decide before they leave, they're going to disable the hyperdrive. So Anakin and Padme make it to the bridge of the ship, take out the robots and fiddle around with the hyperdrive controls and the the you know the ship's controls, and then meet up with with Obi Wan and they through a series of coincidences they all meet up at the same time, get on their ship and get out of there. They're chased by Grievous. He gets in a ship and he goes after them. So meanwhile, back on the ship, they decide they're going to go into hyperdrive. But when they try to fire the hyperdrive, the ship just starts navigating into the moon of this planet right next to him and just tumbles into the moon So, since Anakin had set it to do that, leaving Grievous, you know, without a ship. And there's a great scene where um, Dooku calls up Grievous to ask him how things are going and Grievous just hangs up on him. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, that, so that's that for the malevolence. It's dispatched by Anakin and everybody's back together and Grievous has left Darth Vader's style to go flying off in space in his little fighter ship to limp off and I guess we can assume he's going to receive some sort of tongue lashing or, or punishment from Dooku and the and the Emperor in a, or Palpatine you know or standard shit runs downhill style <laughs> so he'll get it from both of them so all in all, I thought it was a really good episode. It was it was just a good, light-hearted action. You know, it had a lot of yep. a lot of good dog fights, had a, a chase sequence, a lot of lightsaber action, just a lot of your just good Star Wars action. Moved along at a nice snappy pace. Yeah, I, I liked it. There was a really great moment where when Obi Wan went to the they, I, I assume it's where the drive for the hyperdrive is. He was going there to mess it up, 
and Grievous knew he was coming there, so sort of heads him off. So he comes in and all of a sudden is surrounded by, you know, battle droids and Grievous. And when Grievous comes in, he looks at Obi-Wan and goes, well, hello there. Exactly the way Obi-Wan does mm-hmm. in, uh, in episode three. So. That bugged me. The first time I watched this, that bugged me just a little bit because I, I felt like it, it, it kind of spoiled a bit when they do confront each other in three. But watching it again, I, I actually liked it because it, it you know, He's it just, doesn't it doesn't necessarily contradict anything. No. I just thought I felt like it kind of stole the thunder of three. Like if you were to watch this and then three, well, it's working. Back, then, it's working backward because I mean, when right. you saw three, you're like, oh, that's just an Obi Wanism because you know he says it exactly like he says in Episode four. So right. there's that moment, you know, there's that link between Alec Guinness and Ewan McGregor, you know. And right. the way Ewan McGregor delivers it is very Alan, Alec Guinness-like and very natural. Basically, when this happens, it means Obi-Wan picked up that mannerism from Grievous, <laughs> which is pretty weird. <laughs> but, eh, whatever. It was, it was, it, I, I thought it was nicely timed in there and, and a neat little scene. Mm-hmm. Oh, what, what, there was what did an, you think? Oh, I, I really like this, and I, I think that you know what what you said about this being Star Wars action. I mean, I think that's the highest compliment you can pay an episode like this. Is that it was this felt like your classic Star? This yeah, felt like certainly. the first. This felt like you know the, the 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 a New Hope to where it moved at such a pace. It didn't really give allow you time to pick it apart or, or time to really. It, it just moved, you know. Yeah. It, it, there wasn't a lot of exposition. There can be it, all they, these they plot in, holes, but out. you're moving on. Yeah. Yep. And it, and it moved, you know, it got in, it got out, and it told, uh, you know, enough of a linear story to where, if you read this as a as a book or whatever, it might not be all that exciting because there, it doesn't seem like there's that much going on. But yeah. visually, it because it just moves from A to B to C in such a rapid succession and it's just action, action, action. Well, you and could that's write it really... as a story in like less than under 10 pages, in 5 to 10 right. pages. <laughs> and, and that's why, you know, that's how I want my visual Star Wars. I want it just like this to where there's, you know, a bare bones story that just moves very quickly. Well, this... And maybe that's part of the reason why I, I have found the, the books to be kind of dull because they can't do that right. in a in a uh, in that kind of a medium because then you're I, left with something where there's not much of a story. See, I would I would disagree with that because I maybe it just seems that they can't do it with Star Wars because there's a lot of writers like Heinlein and those those classic pulp writers especially from the 50s, 60s and 70s. Philip Jose Farmer was one that would write whole books that were just page turners. Uh, the end of every chapter was a cliffhanger into the next chapter uh, or or a setup you know a setup into an impossible situation and uh, you know everything was one thing leading to another so when a character came out victorious you knew the next chapter something was going to go completely terribly wrong and you just whip through those books you know it was a classic style of doing it a lot of times maybe because it was serialized in a magazine or something but it's possible to do that and you know and and that's what I and I think Star Wars was sort of inspired by a lot, partially inspired by a lot of that so it seems like the books should be written in that 
style. The only thing is the people who really pulled it off were the master science fiction writers like Heinlein and Philip Jose Farmer and stuff like that. So there's not a lot of those around or maybe they want too much money to to do Star Wars novels or something like that. But it could be it's possible to do, I think. You just have to maybe take it a little less seriously. And I maybe, think maybe yeah. that's what happens with the novels is they re- it's a novel they're taking it seriously. I don't know, they're certainly not taking the T V show too seriously and that's to its benefit. This episode I, I think so too. I thought this episode reminded me of the the first series, you know, the original series of Clone Wars that were just basically battles. Right. They were boom, isn't it cool battles. I think that's why that show was so successful. Oh, there, yeah. there wasn't a whole lot of story. It was just, you know, like you say, it was battles. I think that was the secret of its success right there. Yeah. And I mean, they, they used that same exact formula for the Clone Wars adventures, those those little, uh, you know, trades that came out. Little, you know, the, the yeah, the little digest size. size. Digest size yeah, yeah, and those, those, were, those were a great read, and they're the same way. You know, the stories are, are kind of simple and bare bones, and they're really just battle stories. And that's what, I mean, that's why they were great. Yeah. Didn't need a whole lot of backstory. You didn't need a whole lot of the kind of even... the equivalent of the wars of like World War Two comic stories, you know. Oh yeah, yeah, and and you know, so when you get an episode like this of this new Clone Wars, I think that's why this episode works so well because it is basically a it, it's a chase story. It's a you know, a, uh, arguably a battle story, but it's really just, it's a it's a chase story. You know, it's it's a sink the Bismarck type of type of thing. You know, how how quickly can they take this? enemy ship out, you know, and, and that's the whole idea. Get in and take it out and get out before, you know, Well, it's, before they can get away. Yeah, and there's sort of a sub-element in it of chance. Everything is just sort of, everything, like, the last episode before this was sort of an episode of compromise, where it was, they set out to d- completely destroy this ship, but what they ended up doing to save the hospital was they had to just cripple the ship and buy themselves some time, but that saved the hospital. So Anakin didn't get his goal that he wanted to, but in this one, he gets his goal, but he only gets it through through coincidence, which actually all the coincidence is initiated by who? Palpatine, the puppet master, is the one who manipulated Padme into going there, you know, thinking that it was safe to go where she was going and that he had secret information from one of the bankers that... So, you know something that the bankers were going to turn, and so he sent her to to negotiate it. But which is weird; she should be pissed at Palpatine after this, saying, "What?" You know, and he'll just say, "Well, I guess I got bad information." I'm sure. Yeah, he's going to have to watch overusing that ploy because then they would. It would seems like if they had any brains at all, they'd catch on to that right. after a bit. You know? Right. And but uh, you know, and and once they're on the ship, it's all just a series of of coincidences that knock him around into the right place at the right time and all of a sudden you know if it if it, if Padme hadn't have come there in the first place he wouldn't have got Anakin on that ship and that's how he piloted it into the into the moon set it to pilot itself into the moon so it was all just a series of like fate taking these certain steps in order for them to get the thing that they wanted but it wasn't gotten by a plan it was gotten by improvised mini plans so I thought that was kind of cool but that's just me applying 
too much thought to a good half hour shootout. I had a couple specific pros and then one it's not really a con, it's just kind of a nitpick. And I, I and I rewatched the episode very carefully to see if it solved this thing for me and I, I wasn't able to, to find it. So anyway, my, my couple of pros were um when Anakin goes, you know, when he when he storms off the bridge, you know, headed to uh to try to go to Grievous' ship to rescue Padme, Obi Wan calls him on it. And Anakin just says, oh, well, somebody has to save her skin. And I like that. You know, that's a callback to Leia's line, you know, in the uh, in the original Star Wars yep. when she shoots the, the lid off the trash compactor right. and they end up going in the shoot. You know, she says, somebody has to save our skin. I, I like that. I like that little callback. You know, like I said before, I hope they don't overdo it. But I do like those little those little callbacks, especially when they're a little bit obscure like that when that maybe not everyone caught the line. And there was something... Uh, a nice little. I thought this, like I say, there wasn't a lot of exposition in this one, but I liked a lot of what we did get. You know, particularly the little uh, jibes between Anakin and Obi Wan, because there's a great one where uh, Anakin says, "You know, everything I know, I learned from you." And and Obi Wan, and I know it's not Ewan McGregor, but he's the guy. Whoever's playing Obi Wan was so good at it. He just says, "Oh, if only that were true." Yeah. And just the way he delivers the line was was perfect. It was classic Obi Wan. You know, from this from this time, you know, from this era, and I, I really thought it worked well. It, 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 you know, they tried to do a lot of those in the prequel movies, and some of them worked, and some of them came off kind of flat, but this one worked. It, it was a really a, a nice moment between the two of them. But the one nitpick I had, I really was trying to figure this out, was, uh, okay, the first time I watched it, they they take this ship, you know, the, the Twilight, and they go to Grievous' ship, and they and they sneak aboard. You know, they dock and they sneak aboard, and it bugged the hell out of me. I was like, "How are they able to do that?" And you know, the, the robots, the the droid battle droids on his ship, they you know they didn't detect them, right? You know, nothing. Well, what, rewatching this, Anakin has the line: "The enemy sensors are obviously damaged, um, and they they don't they don't have time to notice us." And at first, I was like, oh, okay, well, there's your explanation. But then I got to thinking, well, how do they know that? There's never anything yeah. that says, you know, because he says the enemy sensors are obviously damaged. Well, what's the obvious? But how do they, how is he reaching that conclusion? Because I couldn't figure it out. How we'll does use he the know? Catch all. I he guess. He felt it with the force. Yeah, he exactly. Felt it. He could sense it. I don't it. know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I I, 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 I think it's just one of those, you know, it, it just had to further the plot, so they had to do it oh, that sure. way. Because Obi-Wan even had the line of, you know, look, if they catch on to us, you know, they're they're going to, I forget how he words it, but basically we're, we're dust if they figure this out, you know, we'll, we'll be blasted. So that seemed like an awfully big chance to take, you know, when you're basically leaping, you know, making vast leaps in logic and coming up to a sketchy conclusion of, well, the sensors are obviously damaged. Well, how the hell do you know that? You know, they don't have time to notice us. Well, you know, are you willing to bet your life on that? I mean, they they noticed Padme when she came out of hyperspace right next to them, so how would they not notice another ship sneaking up from behind them from the same direction they're already getting the, the crap shot out of them from? You would think that they'd be looking behind them anyway to see what's going on as they're trying to get away. So it didn't quite follow to me, but 
I don't know. It's probably just be, me being really nitpicky, they but it, it bugged him, me. They had to get him on the ship, you know, and they're just, you know. They should have just beamed aboard. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, that aside, you know, that's not to say that it, it took anything away. I, I really, I thought it was a very nice episode. I mean, you know, because you had everything in this one. You had a chase. You had, you know, kind of the classic, you know, when Ben had to go take out the tractor beam type of thing. You know, in this one, they got to go take out the hyperdrive. So you had a lot of chasing. You had a lot of jumping and running. You had, you know, several nice laser battle fights, you know, laser guns. And then you even had a couple nice uh, lightsaber fights. So, I mean, this is almost the first Star Wars in a 30 or 20 or 20 to 30 minute miniature. You know what I mean? It's like a compressed version of the first movie. And I like that. I really liked it. I thought it was a lot of fun. You're completely right. Yeah, it had you even all- got the you even got the big threat blowing up at the end. So you know, it, yeah, it's it is a real parallel, without without a, being a total rehash, like uh, like Phantom Menace to me was a was and a, a moon is involved. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's true too. A small moon. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's all I got for this one. That's about all I got too. So I say oh, uh, we take a break and uh, come back into Comic Land. I would be remiss if I didn't comment on the music. I, I thought this was beautifully scored. I missed if it was the the regular guy that I, I think the same guy has been doing every episode. It was the guy who scored the movie, and at the moment his name is out of my head. But anyway, a yeah, really good score for this one. But yeah, I bet, uh, bet you they did it all at once. Or I think so. But yeah, it's really nice. I, I just happened to notice it a little more on this uh, on this second rewatch. So yeah, let's uh, take a little break, and we'll come back with Marvel Comics Star Wars eleven and twelve. Jedi. I am a 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 Jedi
Jedi. I am a Jedi. I am a Jedi. Like my father before me. So be it. Jedi. So be it. Jedi. So be it. He was young, but he was ready. Ready to leave his home and everything he'd known to join the fight against the Empire. Armed with his father's lightsaber, he fought for his life, his friends, and the lovely Princess Leah. Luke Skywalker was ready. Luke Skywalker is back. Star Wars is back. Star Wars. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. All right, we're back. Um, today we're doing Marvel Comics uh, Star Wars. We're beyond the movie. And uh, the last three issues were sort of a Han Solo story, and now we're bringing Luke Skywalker back into the fray in episode in issues 11 and 12. And I know we've usually been doing three episodes, or three episodes, or issues each show, but we're doing two, because these two are especially good, and uh, they have special significance for Scott, too, so we wanted to sort of focus in on these two. And so uh, we'll start out with Scott. I'll give us a little synopsis of... Uh, Marvel Comics, Star Wars, number 11. Cool. Well, also, this will get us back to a number divisible by three. So after this, yeah. we can get back to, to three at a time. All right, starting off, this is uh, issue number 11. T- cover credits on this issue. It's penciled by Gil Kane, a uh, fan favorite and one of my favorites, and with inks by Tony DiZaniga, who I've always enjoyed. Um, he did a lot of, like, Jonah Hex, uh a lot of work with uh, DC's Golden Age characters, like uh, with All-Star Squadron and, and stuff like that. He's still working today and, and just a fantastic inker. Um, the cover bills it as this issue, the fate of Luke Skywalker. So we get inside, and I always get a kick out of the name of the actual issue, or the name of the actual story once you get inside is Star Search, which is a, a, a kick for... You know, if you're old enough to remember the old uh, Ed McMahon Star Search show that was on TV, it was just a total what my dad used to dub a shit show. And uh, I just remember that show, show was super cheesy, kind of like uh, American Idol before American Idol. All right, anyway, credits on this issue. Um, Archie Goodwin takes over the credits as uh, writer and editor, having we said goodbye to uh, Roy Thomas last time around. And we have a new art team. We have Carmine Infantino, an absolute legend in the comics business. I mean, we could spend a whole episode naming all the stuff he's done. But the big thing before this, probably the the big important thing for people to recall is when The Flash was reintroduced in the Silver Age and, and we got the Barry Allen Flash. He first appeared in Showcase Comics number four. Carmine Infantino was the artist on that issue. So, you know, right, right off the bat, he's, he's a legendary comic artist. And the inks on this are by Terry Austin, who was an up-and-coming legend at the time, having worked with John Byrne on the X-Men. And that's probably what Terry Austin is still most notable for today, is his work uh, with Byrne on the X-Men. Also, Terry Austin would come back to the Star Wars mythos uh, many, many years later, and he would write and uh, do the art for uh, Dark Horse Comics' adaption of Splinter of the Mind's Eye. So anyway, getting right into this one, we gladly put a Duba 3 in the rearview mirror, and uh, Han and Chewie are rapidly flying away from that planet, having wrapped up their adventures with uh, Jacks Off the Rabbit and Jim the Starkiller Kid and all those guys, Don Juan uh, Quixote. And, you know, they're kind of reminiscing about their little adventure that they had on that planet. And, gee, aren't they glad to be on their way? Han decides that he's he wants to hook back up with Luke and Leia. 
And Chewie suspects that it's for sentimental reasons, although Han says, no, that really doesn't have anything to do with it. Lo and behold, they get ambushed again by Crimson Jack, the space pirate. And they, Han allows the Falcon to be pulled into, you know, in via tractor beam and, and, and captured by Crimson Jack. He, he doesn't even put up a fight trying to get away. The intention here, according to Han, was that he's going to try to trick Jack into an am, you know, into a, like a rebel ambush that because the rebel fleet could actually use that ship. You know, they they could really benefit from from Crimson Jack's stolen star destroyer. But before that plan can even get set into motion, uh, the monkey wrench is thrown in. Of Crimson Jack has already captured Princess Leia. Leia was on her way trying to investigate what had happened to Luke Skywalker. You'll remember a couple of issues back, she sent Luke off on a secret mission to scout for a new rebel base, and he disappeared. Well, she took off trying to find out what happened to him, and this is what happened to her. So a whole little thing is set into motion where basically Jolly did a quick investigation of the Millennium Falcon, found out that Han and Chewie are still penniless over the last time that uh, Jack and his crew robbed them, so they're not worth anything to Jack. Jack intends to kill Han and Chewie as a demonstration to Leia that he's serious. If she doesn't cooperate with him, then this will be her fate as well. But before they can gun down Han and Chewie, uh, Chewie basically takes out all the pirates. Han grabs a blaster and he, at gunpoint, kind of works out a deal with, with Jack to... Uh, you know, to basically spare all their lives, and uh, and he can lead Jack to a rebel treasure. So, going along with that, he tries to get Leia to cooperate with him on, you know, and, and there's a, an awkward little moment where he tells Jack that, you know, Leia's actually in love with him, with, with Han Solo. And he goes over and starts putting the lips to Leia, and he's telling her, you know, he's whispering to her, hey, just go along with this whole thing. Well, she's got her own idea. She basically knocks Han and they you know, knees him in the head and elbows him in the head and she she has her own little thing and it's I guess it's all for dramatic effects but uh, it, it's kind of a, just a strange little scene but she says that uh, you know she blurts out that you know I can't stop you from leading this vermin to our treasury in the Drexel system and you know it's all kind of staged to trick uh, Crimson Jack into heading to Drexel, which is where Leia was headed in the first place. That's where Luke disappeared. So the ruse kind of works, and they get uh, Jack to take off, you know, for that system. But you know, what's going to happen when they actually get there? And and that's what's got Han nervous now is that you know, yeah, they fell for it, but it's only going to work to a certain point. You know, when they get there, you know, they're going to have to just kind of play it by ear. Leia plants, you know, as she's being escorted back to her cell by uh, Jolly, she plants the seeds that uh, Han is a great kisser, and it gets Jolly to thinking about, you know, that she's missing a man in her life. And then Leia, alone in her cell, ruminates about, you know, oh, Luke, where are you type of thing. And there's a brief recap of uh, what's happened to Luke up to this point. So basically, from there, um, we get a little more exposition with Han and, and Jack just uh, – you know, and Han's worried about you know what's going to happen when they when they get where they're going, and uh, he also you know mentions uh, Luke Skywalker to uh, to Jack for the first time, and so then as Han's worried about what's going to happen, he starts to think about Luke, and of course you know as we've commented before, you know 
so far these issues do a really good job of you know when somebody starts to think about you know the other character then we cut to that character which is very star wars you know the way they do those kind of cuts so we cut to luke and the droids who we haven't seen for a while they have crash landed on this planet and it is a complete water planet there is no land on this planet and their ship is sinking fast they're being attacked by a giant sea monster Luke's trying to fend it off with his blaster, but his blaster's running out of power. So they all decide, all right, we got to ditch down below because there's no way to fend off this monster. So they all go down below. They lock the hatch. They're trapped in a sinking ship. R2 gets the idea, you know, despite uh, 3PO's protestations that, you know, you're heading in the wrong direction. The water's deeper back there. He gets the idea, let's go back. Let's get in an escape pod. And and basically get away from this ship so, you know, that we don't go down with the ship, but also that the monster's about to crack the ship open like an eggshell. So they eject. The ejection system's still working despite the ship being underwater. They uh, come bobbing to the surface, and Luke watches the monster attacking their ship and their ship going down. And as they observe this, suddenly a second sea monster surfaces. This one has a rider. And... 3PO asks the question that we're all wondering by this point, what manner of world are we stranded upon? And that's where we end this issue. Excellent. <laughs> so what do you what do you think of this one? Um well <clears throat> now I'd like to I wish I could know the timeline of when this was being written and drawn and the um Nelvana cartoon for the Star Wars Christmas special yeah was getting written and drawn because you have this you have these sequences that are almost exactly the same mm-hmm. on this water world with a creature with a rider on it and of course in the Star Wars Christmas special it's Boba Fett on on you know riding on the on the lizard but you you know it was it was just strange Star Wars was just sort of in this weird i guess maybe because there hadn't been well at, at that point, there'd only been Star Wars, so there hadn't been a lot of different kinds of worlds. But, you know, it's strange. And and you could tell this issue, I don't want to use the word reboot, but this issue, they definitely were trying to, like, maybe take it, in a, you know, the the Han Solo space western thing wasn't really working the way they wanted, so they ditch it, you know? It's just right. sort of in the first page, it's like, okay... <laughs> we're ditching all this, you know, we're, we're just going to turn right around and and discard that storyline, you know, and start from where we were before that storyline started. Well, the publication date that I found for this particular issue was May of 1978. So we're a good six months prior to the airing of the Star Wars Christmas special. So the way TV works and all that, I, I have to believe that, that it is largely coincidence, if not complete coincidence, the similarities between this story and the uh, and the Star Wars Christmas special. I, I really think that it it, it just kind of worked out that way. But I, I'd be interested if anybody knows differently. I'd love to hear that story. And I, I agree with you completely. What you said about you know you can see that they they were trying to basically do a complete turnaround and a complete let's get away from the the space western thing because yes. i you know i've 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 learned you know in, in the years since reading this as a kid and and i've read a lot about the behind the scenes goings on 
George Lucas was not happy about those four post-movie uh, issues, 7 through 10. He, uh, he didn't like where Thomas took the characters. He thought it was very un-Star Wars-y, very Earth-centric, and he, he just wasn't happy. So I think Archie Goodwin, you know, this is his first issue, and I think right off the bat he wanted to establish that, nope, we're jettisoning all that, and we're going in a completely different direction, and as much as possible, you know, granted, you have to remember, you know, everyone has to keep in mind that at this point, the only thing they've got to work with is the first movie and the novelization of that movie. That's it. Yep. That's all they've got to work with. So, you know, you have to be forgiving that, that there wasn't, you know, that they weren't using more of the expanded universe because there, this was it. There was no other expanded universe. They were laying the groundwork that would eventually become you know the 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 vastness of the Star Wars universe, and you, and you probably couldn't make too much up either because you couldn't step on the toes of right of Lucas, who's the ultimate authority. So you have to you have to keep it if you want the continuity to work. When they eventually make another Star Wars movie, you have to be you, you're sort of spinning your wheels in a certain way. You can't kill anybody, <laughs> for sure. Or you can't have somebody ar- somebody's arm lopped off or, you know, become brain right. damaged or anything like that. There's a line of dialogue right in the beginning that I think is completely telling of exactly where Archie Goodwin's trying to tell us that, that we're going. And it's where we get the brief little recap of what exactly has been ha- happening with Han and Chewie up to this point. And then Han says to Chewie, who knows? Maybe someday as survivors uh, will team up again, but for now I figure rather than running from one rim world to the next, we might as well uh, take our chances rejoining Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia at the Rebel base. And I think yep. that <laughs> just sets the whole thing up. Let's get back to what everybody liked about the movies. Let's get the old gang back together. Yeah, and that—that's pretty much. I mean, and that's what they immediately do. They put. Yeah, they put Princess Leia. What's funny is they got her. They got her kissing Han Solo right right away. Yep. <laughs> Yep. You know, it's awesome. Except this time, it's like an unpleasant experience for, or you know, or or you could still. It, it's all fits in though. Still, it still fits in. You know? Oh, I think it fits in beautifully because you know that that panel where she, you know, he's whispering to her and basically saying, "I got it all under control and just go along," and she does not go along with him at all. She has her own. You know, she's very much her own woman. She's not a damsel in distress. And, you know, right. she does the little, you know, whap wood thing where she elbows him and knees him in the head at the same time. But, you know, what she says is, how dare you, Han Solo? How dare you betray my feelings for you? And granted, she's play acting, but I think it's one of those things of, uh, you know, she doth protest too much. I think that she's yeah. very she's much also- saying what's on her mind. I think yeah. she did have a thing for Han, even as early oh, as this. Sure. Oh sure, obviously. Oh yeah, and it, and but yeah, it's great. It's great. It's uh, but I I'll bet you when they wrote this for the comic, they weren't thinking that. You know, they were thinking, uh, we'll just have Han Solo, Han Solo find a way to make out with her. You know, because he obviously he showed some interest in Star Wars, mm-hmm. and she was kind of, you know, she didn't show a lot of interest. But of course, that's back to your the lady doth protest too much. Right. What I love is just before they hook up, when they do, um, when Crimson Jack brings her out, I love this. They they don't really, I don't really see this in comics too much. 
they do this weird little thing where you get a profile of someone and one of their eyes is winking but it's the eye you can't see you know their eyes are like either winked or, or blinking so but to show that her eyes shut on the other side they have this weird little winky sign oh or, yeah you know what I'm talking about it's on yeah, page I, six, yeah. I believe yeah yeah I, I, lo- <laughs> I, I love that for some reason I, I, I remember that and it's this weird little bit of comic language I, I think I always took it as a slight grimace because he's yeah. squeezing her wrist and I always took it like a like, like a, her eyes are a squinching a little bit yeah but yeah. it's her eyes squinching and, and it, you know it's like the energy release from going it's it's great it's just a great little piece of visual communication and on the next page is in the middle of it is a great picture of Chewie where he actually does look like a walking carpet. I knew you were going to comment. I knew one of us would end up commenting on this, but I'm telling you, if you flip back one page, if you flip back to the page you were just talking about, page six, yeah, uh, th- this is the time for me to go into just my just absolute drooling over the art. Yeah. I know that our, uh, that Infantino is not for everybody. I understand the criticisms because you know. Besides Star Wars, there's not a whole lot of Infantino I'm real crazy about. I mean, he's one of those when he, when he works, he really works, and when he doesn't, he totally doesn't. Because right. like his run on the Flash, especially the later years of the Flash, which is about the only Flash I was really familiar with, was like right around the time of the trial of the Flash storyline where he had killed Professor Zoom. That art just doesn't work for me, but. I look at this, and I know that it's because I'm seeing it through child eyes, and this is what I grew up with. This is my Star Wars. But I just look at this, and I think it's gorgeous. So, you know, I give him a total pass on Sasquatch Chewbacca because the Leia on well, page six is beautiful. I mean, she's so well she's drawn. Perfect. Yeah. She's and she's got a great rack, and I just, you know, I'm in love with well, the, the Chewy. The Chewy on page six up in the corner, the where he's saying "work," <laughs> work, <laughs> which means he's jumping to conclusions. Don't yep. jump to conclusions, Chewy. Well, we we forgot. We need to recap because so far we've got a grouk, which I really like. We got a a vorp, which is a question of some kind. Yeah. Oh, he asked him, "Do, do you miss?" He, he accuses Han of missing. Han and Leia, so I guess Vorp must mean something like, "Oh, you miss those guys, huh?" And I like this one. I like a rock because uh, see, I always pictured it as rock. <laughs> see, I started to choke on a pretzel the other day, and I made it sound <laughs> very much like that one right there. So I, I can appreciate that. But yeah, I like the work too. He's got some some really good ones in this issue. Grrk, I like the grrk too. Um, but. Uh, yeah, the art, I I can't say enough about the art in this only because I really think it is unappreciated. I or, or rather underappreciated. I know that there are people the, that appreciate it. The walking carpet, I I kind of like him as a walking carpet. He was described in Star Wars as a walking carpet, so it's kind of yeah. good to see him as a walking. He does look like a Bigfoot with his arms and stuff, but remember he's in action, so his hairs. And you can see the basic body under it, but his hair is just flying out in, like, all directions. So it looks it, weird, but it still looks cool. It works in that panel, 
if that if it were just for that panel where like you say he's in motion but you look at the panel just above where he's actually literally being shot by laser bolts and in that <laughs> yeah. he looks more like like a cross between swamp thing and the shaggy man yeah. you know yeah yeah he, and that one doesn't work for me because chewy wasn't this great big you know, mangy, nappy-haired thing. He, you know, he was very—he was like a, a cat. You know, he was very sleek and very yeah. felt as a as a Wookie. You know, granted, he's all hairy, but he's not hairy like a you know like a you know like he's got the frizzies or something. You right. know, I mean, like he was very sleek. Right. Yeah. I mean, look at him and on the top of uh, my pages aren't numbered in my issue. I don't know what no, page there are this no is. numbers on these on this issue. It's the one um, where he's literally saying "barf" at Burf. the top of the. <laughs> yes, and it looks like he's eating watermelon. Yeah, it looks like well, he's this... eating a big gray piece of watermelon. I'm telling you, that is Sasquatch from the Six uh-huh. Million Man in that picture. Uh-huh. That it's is... that brow. It's, it's the way this head's shaped in the brow there. He's got the Neanderthal head there. Yeah, and he's got like a little chicken with a chicken thing with its head cut off, sitting on a plate next to him. Oh yeah, yep. I didn't even notice that. Yeah, you're right. But, you know, I, like I say... So cri- they all have these weird glasses. Of course, they can't have regular glasses. They have space glasses with a, this little jog in them that makes them look like a urinal or something. <laughs> it does, too. It looks like a mini toilet. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, t- I'm, giving, I'm giving the art a pass unless it get. There are parts where it gets wonky, and if it gets really, really wonky, you know, enough to where it, it, it pokes through... My my childhood love. Then I will point it out because the the as much as I love this gorgeous panel at the bottom of uh, of the page where Jolly locks Leia back up, uh-huh. I love this reminisce page. Except for on the left side, it's a bizarrely drawn X-wing shooting at what looks like another X-wing. Uh, that that has always bothered me since yeah, I was. It looks a- like an X-wing from one of those from one of those knockoff gumball machine toy <laughs> yes. things that you get. You know, where very it's much basically so. an X with yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what it looks like. It looks like Space Station K seven from that Star Trek episode. Yes. The trip shooting at an X-wing is what it looks like. Yeah. It's weird. It's very bizarre looking. There, there was really there. I mean, there's more of the art that I think is fantastic than there are little little monks. Because the the last panel of Leia's page where she's reminiscing about, she's basically giving us the recap on Luke. You know, in case yes. you missed it, here's what's going on. That last panel with the uh, with the shading on it, and I still can't remember what the hell they call this. I wish somebody like would write that it and tell us. Zip tone or something. Zip tone. Like yeah. Zip-a-tone. Yeah. It's beautiful. I mean, it, it it's just really nicely shaded and and uh, almost looks look pissed. Like it's, yeah, <laughs> she looks really pissed. I mean, it almost looks like a photo or something. But I I don't know where they would have would have gotten this from. You know, on the just pa- using the exact opposite on the other page, the top is is one of the pointy is one of the, like she's got like dragon lady face. She's got elfin elfin magic face, and they're to the point of where her buns are even pointed, like she has a like bat ears and elf bat face there. And Wait, where is this? On the page, the page before the oh, picture we were talking yeah. about. See what I'm yeah. talking about? And she's yeah. got sort of this cross pattern where her eyes are slanted and they sort of match the angle of her boobs, which are both pointed outward. 
<laughs> it's not bad. It's really as far as as illustration goes, it's it's great illustration, you know. It might she might not look exactly like Carrie Fisher, but it's a comic book. So a lot of it's just you know, you want to communicate the the emotion and stuff. So I I don't know. I think the art and these are great. As a matter of fact, the way he draws it, he makes it look like he put more detail into it than he actually did. You know, he's able to just sort of put the impression that, like, with a lot of the spaceships, sometimes he makes them look like the super detailed, accurate drawing of a spaceship. But the more you look at it, it's more just the way it's shaded and presented, you know. I, I think a it's lot of nice. the, the, the kudos with things like that, the shading and the and the detail, whether there's a, uh, the a large, Yeah, exactly. Because I, I definitely, definitely see Terry Austin's yeah. handy in this. I mean, it's very transparent that that he uh, brought so much. Oh. And I, I think that this would not be uh, so beloved by me if if this wasn't Austin on the inking. I think he really brought out what works when when uh, Infantino works because he doesn't always work, you know. But well, it's a this, good it, example of where he doesn't work, where it's a classic Carmine Infantino gaffle, and that mm-hmm. would be page. I think it would be like page fourteen, if you if you broke it. It's the page um, where they're standing in in Crimson Jack's control room and is it uh, the Han face it's the Han face at the bottom where he's going (laughs) like he's taking a painful shit and he's got these little (laughs) tiny hands that are just sort of like on some control it's like controlling this control that's total karma when Carmine Infantino is bad that's what happens to people's mouths and also I just want to note in the middle that Chewie's all pissed off looking and he's saying Werfel because he wants to go to the Waffle House, man. He's Warful. hungry. Warful. Yeah, he, he uh, you know, at, at the risk of sounding, um, I don't know, whatever, but Han at the bottom of that page, he really reminds me of Green Lantern's old uh, old friend, uh, Pie Face there. You know, the, <laughs> you know who I'm talking about? Oh, I just like the name Pie Face. Well, he was a racially insensitive character from back oh, in the day. You know, oh, and. He's still around. I don't think they call him that anymore. He's still around in the comics, but that's who he looks like to me yeah. in that particular panel. Is is he looks like that character because of the way he's drawn? He's very, I don't know. He's very if it ethnic. If it wasn't for the, if it wasn't for the hair and the Han Solo like shirt and vest, you wouldn't know it was supposed to be him. You know, or not. You wouldn't even know it was supposed to be a Caucasian guy at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it, it looks like it looks like basically not only does he look Asian, but it adds like twenty or thirty years to his age. He looks like an old Asian guy, you know, or, or, or getting older type <laughs> Asian guy. It's weird, you know. And that's what Infantino does, though. He's so, it's not as much with the eyes like on this one, but it's that mouth. He does that. Yes, like like people have their lips drawn thin and their their mouth drawn down. It's weird. Mm-hmm. But, oh uh, yeah, he did this a lot on on the Flash. Oh, it's what you and I used to call the R face, you know, which yeah. is, you know, mm-hmm. John Lennon used to do yeah. that a lot. You know, John Lennon was caught on film all the time, kind of doing that goofy kind of face, yeah. you know, with the with the grin, and that's what this looks like. It's a classic R face. Yeah, absolutely. You know, again, once again, you know, Minor all quibbles. is given when you when you flip the page to Luke shooting at that sea monster. God, that's yeah. a gorgeous piece of art. I love that picture. 
It's just, I don't know what it is about that picture. See, 3 p looks like the Iron Giant now that I look at it. <laughs> I know. I was just going to say, you know, R2 is is totally, I don't know what's going on there. It almost looks like he has <laughs> he's got extra. He's got an extra. He's got, instead of one leg in the middle, he's got one on, like, one on he's each side. Set. But then he's got the other ones like he's running. Like he's got one float flung out in front of him and one flung out straight back at 90 degree it's just weird it looks like a figure you know it looks like you could do that with your old r2d2 figures by just like bending his legs at impossible angles but yeah it was probably just carmine infantino not really maybe not have seen maybe not seen star wars and trying to figure out how to you know if 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 episode one had already been out, you would have known that he just sort of magnetically would be clinging to the edge of the spaceship. Right. But nobody knew that at that time. You know, R2 is just a droid, and you didn't really think of him as being a droid that was specific, even though he was called an astromech droid. Nobody, I don't, I never really thought of him as being completely tied into us. You know, the use on a spaceship being made for use on a spaceship to the point of where spaceships have holes built into them for them to crawl into you know they're so ubiquitous in in spaceships that's what i like says. it at, at this, <laughs> i like at this point you know that that they weren't sure exactly you know how to how to use 3po or how to how to characterize r2 and 3po as you know artificial beings and so right. there's a lot you know 3PO has a lot of comments in these two issues about things like you know his integrated logic circuits and you know his his scrambled you know whatever and and I just think that's funny there's an awful uh, what is it uh, th- uh things are happening entirely too fast for my comprehension reactors and he yeah. he has a lot of moments like that where he says things like that you know making him very mechanical and very robot like which they they toned down quite a bit you know as the series progressed and they got more of a handle on the characters and the, yeah, but, uh, the, because exactly because he was made he was made to interact with humans right he was he was so he yeah of course he wouldn't be talking about his the panel the last panel on the next to last page mm-hmm. you know it's it's got the 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 life that's pod what, that's what is, reminds me of the cartoon the most of all of this that shot well i always used to love that i still love this panel i always used to love that panel of you know the the life pods bobbing in the water and luke's got the hatch popped and he's watching the monster and he's watching the ship and i always used to look at that panel and think that reminds me of so what does that remind me of and it always used to i love it but it it always used to bug me and i think i finally nailed what it is it reminds me of the very beginning of the original planet of the apes when uh-huh. they they abandon ship and then they're in the little uh-huh. life raft and they watch their ship sink it's it's basically the same angle yep. and the same type of thing they're watching the ship go down and i i think that's what it is it may even be a callback to that and I love it. Well, it was right about the same time that the Planet of the Apes comics were coming out, too. Mm-hmm. So. And, you know, I mean, the the people may not realize it, but, you know, Star Wars, the, the phenom of Star Wars, owes so much 
to Planet of the Apes. You know, that was the big thing before, before Star it. Wars. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So yeah, that that's my thoughts. I think on uh, on number eleven, I just uh, I could go on and on and just gushing about. I really think. Um, like you say, I wish I could remember my personal progress with these because I want to say that I I got ten, eleven, and twelve in a in a three pack, but you know I I I, I can't have because I know that I read this issue. This was my first Star Wars issue. I just know it was because I remember opening it up. I remember that first panel of of the Falcon leaving Aduba three. And Han does the little recap about the characters. And I can remember thinking, oh, those guys look cool. I wonder what that whole story was. And I know that it was later, after this, that I I eventually went back and read that whole story. So I I, I guess I didn't get the – maybe they were in a two-pack. I don't know. But I I know that the, the story before this came later for me personally. This, I'm positive, was my first issue of of Star Wars. And I think that's why I I just can't be overly critical of it because I I just, I'm taken right back whenever I crack it open. It it, cannot be subjective. Not at all. Not at all. It it just, I look at it and I know other people would look at some of the art in this and just go, but I look at it and I'm just in love. It's just beautiful to me. It's just a beautiful book. I really, really think the art, uh, the art team, uh, just clicks, and you know, and it wasn't always that way because I get into some of the later issues with the same art team, where I'm not so you know quite as sentimentally attached. You know, some of the issues that I got years later because I wasn't able to track them down, like when they get to the story about the wheel and stuff like that. I'm not as sentimentally attached to that story, and it's much easier for me to have a critical eye when we get to those particular issues because i think the art on those is wonky and there's some stuff that visually was not working so i'll I'll, I'll try to be more fair when we get to those right all right so are we ready for uh the next one absolutely next one's episode um episode i always want to say episode issue 12 and the covers uh this is a this is a gil kane cover isn't it uh no the last one was gil kane and 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 yeah this is Yep, it's the same team as the interior, which is very rare. And it's got a very sort of redneck cover on it where Luke's, you know, fending off these guys with blasters while the well, 3PO especially cringes in the background, although it's a great but, picture to see 3PO. Let's act it out. Okay. I want to be the crowd. Well, uh, uh, I'll be the first I'll do the first line, you do the second line. Okay. We want them robots, boy. And that lightsaber can't stop all of us. <laughs> you take hey, their pants right off. You ain't from Waterworld, is you, boy? So <laughs> that's what we got. That's what. Okay, now down to we business. We like a panther. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> all right, so so uh, this one's Archie Goodman's the writer, editor, Carmine Infantino, Terry Austin, just like the cover or the artists. John Costanza, letterer, Janice Cohen, colorist, Jim Suter, Shooter, consulting editor, whatever, just gets his name plugged down there because he's consulting editor. So, you know, Luke and, and 3PO are back in their, back in their uh, skate pod watching uh, the uh, two, uh, it looks like they're 
two creatures are squaring off, but it turns out they're sort of working together, and, and the one creature that just showed up with the writer is sort of instructing, or somehow it's communicating to the other creature to push Luke's ship away. So they're, so they're taking Luke's ship, and uh, Luke notices coming out of... Uh, out of the distance from the opposite direction the sort of water version of a, a land speeder or a water speeder type of thing coming in the other direction so all of a sudden obviously they're the they're the enemies of the dragon rider people so there's a, a battle going on and of course you know Luke in the escape pod is caught in the middle of it you know so they're watching watching these giant lizards are knocking over the the ships and the ships are firing back so it's a big big battle and then, I guess, I wouldn't want to say it's the biggest one, but it's a more whale-shaped one shows up, and he's a dragon lord, and starts kicking some serious ass. But they're firing at the dragon lord. They, they you know, the uh, the speeders are, have have um, the dragon people outgunned, so they drive off the dragon people, and uh, they grab Luke's pod and pull him in, and they decide they're going to keep the pod, and toss Luke back in, keep the robots, and bring him back to uh, the governor, which gives me flashbacks to The Walking Dead. Walking that's Dead. Another story. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> so Luke whips, of course, whips out his lightsaber, and you know, they, they think he's a Jedi. And, uh, you know, Luke has a little bit of a flashback towards Ben Kenobi, and says to himself, you know, I know I'm not a Jedi, but I'm going to use Ben's... And, and then here's another very prescient... To, to further movies is R2 helps Luke out by uh, pooping out a little grease mm-hmm. and uh, making people slip over. So Luke gets the upper hand and says, you know, basically take me to your leader. So they take him back and uh, basically, very much like Waterworld, they live on these huge ships that are just all sort of, I guess, you can't really tell because you can't really see a huge presentation of it but it looks like they're all sort of attached together with big bridge-like spans so they've sort of built a landmass out of ships and the governor is you know this big porcine you know bloated guy and that uh, first panel of him doesn't he look like the guy who played Bly in that old mutiny on the bounty movie you know yes, who I'm talking yes but his name is Quarg which is very very maritime. It's sort of like Queequeg. You know, basically Luke Skywalker comes off, you know, th- threatening Quarg. You know, there's there's, there's a bit of uh, a standoff. Uh, how, how did they really leave it resolved here? He, he decides he, uh, to bring Luke along with him. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what Luke says that convinces him. Oh, okay. He's, he Let's... basically says you don't know what these droids are worth in one piece. So he's right. using the droid, you know, I'm the only one who understands stands how you're going to get top dollar for these droids. That's right. So, of course, he starts thinking about how he could use Han at this moment, which, in, as you said in the last one, in a very Star Wars-like moment, brings us to Han and is pirated um, as a as not really a prisoner, as but just as a quote-unquote guest of Crimson Jack and his pirated Star Destroyer. Another kind of weird-looking Han Solo, you know, peering into his... <laughs> His machinery, you know, he's just sort of, it's a, a, a nice little scene of him and Jack semi hostily bantering back and forth and going over what it's led up to this and how Jack got his, um, 
his Star Destroyer in the first place, acquire his sort of, um, oh, what was Captain Nautilus? It's basically sort of, he's sort of, sort of like an evil Captain Nemo and his, uh, and his Nautilus. And they're, you know, they're shooting the shit and all of a sudden there's a disturbance up ahead. So they, they run up and it's Jolly. Obviously, Princess Leah's been starting, tr- you know, knew what buttons to push on Jolly because he st- she started her thinking about kissing guys and she was talking, you know, she was obviously mulling the idea over with one of the other pirates who decided to get fra- a little too fresh and, you know, she was knocking him out. And of course, she walks up to Han Solo and whacks him <laughs> and, and stalks off. In the meantime, they're coming out of hyperspace and, uh, where are they? They're at Drexel. So we're we're about to um bring everybody's about to come together, but at the same time Han Solo's sorta and Princess Leia are sort of running out of time on their story here. Because it's gonna be t- I what was the story that there was a rebel treasury here or the rebels were here? Yeah, this was supposed to be the rebel base where Han got the original treasure that, that Jack relieved him of right. and that's why he he was leading them back there. Right, and meanwhile, and they're, as, they're sort of getting the idea that it could be bullshit because they were like, the Drexel system is pretty much known as being a sort of dead end and a place where nobody wants to go. So they they sort of know that Solo's, Solo's Well, Han, Han has been sweating it out this whole time, yeah. thinking, what the hell am I going to say when we actually get there? And this issue ends with them getting there, and, like, and Jack's basically world. like, what the hell, this is a water world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the rebels couldn't possibly have a treasure there, is what he says. So, yep. you know, it, it ends where Han's at, at gunpoint once again, <laughs> where basically started this adventure, and you know he's going out. Oh, now what the hell am I going to do? And that's yep. pretty much where it, he's it wraps up. Said, yeah, he basically tells him get the princess up here because he figures I might as well get somebody else working on this bullshit story, you know, so I don't have to do all the all the work. So. That's where that's that's where it uh, ends off, and the next issue is the day of the Dragon Lords. <laughs> now this not issue, the kind of title that you think of when you think of Star Wars. Yeah. But. Now this issue, I'm not as fond of this issue as the last issue because really not a lot happens in it. You know, it's just it just sort of basically you know Luke gets taken prisoner, and. Uh, Han comes out of hyperspace. That's basically it, you know. You know, just... the, you're right. And I thought about that today when I was was looking at this again. But you know, when you consider the pacing of this the six issue adaption of the first movie, there were entire issues of that where it felt right. like, wow. If you think about it, this was only like a five minute stretch of the movie, and then the next issue would cover like a forty five minute chunk of the movie. Yeah. And so, yeah, you're right. It, not a lot happens, but it, it follows almost the same pacing as that adaption. Yeah. It so it feels a little bit more Star Wars to me as far as Star Wars, the the original six issues. Yes, you know. But you're I right. Agree. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Well, and and this also, I mean, it's obviously more Star Wars than the, than the last few issues. Because I remember this as a kid also going, this is a return to... I remember those first three post-Star Wars issues being a little... They, they felt awkward to me, you know, even though I still loved them, but they still were not quite right, you know. they were. You, I could still tell they were comic books trying 
to. Right. You know, and there were other, and like, at the same time, I think it was around the same time they were trying to do the same thing with uh, 2001, mm -hmm. the Space Odyssey. They tried, you know, Beyond the Movie, Beyond the Galaxy, and stuff like that. And it was weird seeing them try to try to do that. And the, the same with uh, Planet of the Apes and, and stuff like that. So it was a bit awkward I mean, at first, but here it start. You know, it you're definitely right. It feels like Star Wars. To their credit, I think that Marvel Comics recaptured the the feel of Star Wars. I mean, the only other thing I can really compare it to, you know, you, you use the 2001 and Planet of the Apes analogies. Those those are very good analogies. But using Star Wars itself, I mean, there was also the uh, the newspaper strip coming out. You know, concurrently with this, right? And as much as I love the newspaper strip, it never really captured the Star Wars feel. It very much felt like like Buck Rogers or Flash Gordon because the entire it had to run. be because as as a as the way it was, it was almost like there was always you know you had a limited number of frames, right? And a lot of times one frame would be recapping the last frame from the day before, so right. it's just you know it was meant to be read really serially and if you clipped them all out and put them in, which I used to do I, my grandparents used to save it for me and I used to mm -hmm. have big stacks of them I wish I knew what happened to all of those but they've later been released you know I think somebody you know made a collection out of them I don't know if it was Dark Horse or Dark Horse yeah somebody and uh and you know they're they're a very awkward read because they were meant to be you know a day in between you know they weren't read to, meant to be read sequentially so those was, should have come out in one of those big collected trades like they've done with, uh, you know, they have these three or four volumes of uh, Superman strips and Batman strips from back in the, the 30s and 40s. And then they've got uh, one or two volumes of the Sunday strips. That's the way they should have done those Star Wars ones because I have the Dark Horse reprints. And they're beautiful to look at because they're you know they're nicely reproduced and they're colored and you know re yeah you know, it's like an, it's like that. an archival thing rather than an enjoyable read though you know yeah but well I mean they use like you know you might have nine strips for example and they use a third you know they they pick and choose panels because they wanted to make a comic out of it so you're not getting oh, everything okay. that. Strips and that was disappointing. I, I you know, if I'm going to read those strips, you I want to read them. Archival, sort of. Yeah. Exactly. And that's how it should have been, and that's not how it was. They they reproduced it as a comic book, and so it, it lost something in the translation. I think. Well, here's but how my, here's how I would here's my marketing genius on this. I would present this. <laughs> you know those calendar those desk calendars where you tear off a page. That's yeah. what they should do. They should do the Star Wars newspaper. You know, 2010 desk calendar and every day a, is a day is a daily strip and you know you can tear them off and and read through it and every sunday is a sunday strip you know sequentially good. I, isn't it well though? i wonder i wonder if the uh if the grit star wars strip has ever uh re-seen the light of day because it was I weird it was that existed Oh yeah, my grandmother used to save them for me, but unfortunately, she she didn't she wasn't religious about it, you know. So it was like right. I would get a stack, but there was like gaps and stuff. But what was bizarre was that a lot of the stories were the exact same story, exact same team, but they weren't the exact same panels. So and sometimes the dialogue was a little askew because do you remember the story where there was the giant lizard imperial officer? Yes. 
at the very end of the story, his tail gets pulled off so yes. that he can escape. That story was also done in grit, but it was done as a as like a you know like how the Sunday uh, strips would some, they'd be in a block. They weren't just three panels. They were in a like a I think they were in a nine panel block. I'm not sure, but they right, were in a right, block. Right. And they read just a little bit different because they were a Sunday. They did it that way. Same exact story. The dialogue would be a little bit askew, and you might even get a little more stuff happening in the gutters than what you had in the three panel. So it was it was like reading an alternate universe version of the same thing. And it was so freaky to my child mind that, wait, this is the same story with the same art and the same guy, but it's not the same. And I, I, it's bizarre. Somewhere I have a couple of those. You know, I have all of the newspaper strips I ever collected, but I only have just a couple of the uh, of the grit ones. And uh, I'll have to send you some scans. Maybe you can put them up on our board sometime yeah, or when, something. But when, when they they're, they're bizarre. They're when so they bizarre. It, they probably did it three or four different ways just to cover all their bases. You know, we'll do it. The, you know, we need it in this format and this format and this format because grit. It, you know, because it was syndicated. So yep. you could probably you probably for different prices or for depending on the layout of whatever you were doing, you could you know you could get it in a square layout or a rectangular layout or in you know if you needed you know. Depend. So it was probably there were like three or four different formats that you could pick from. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta get all that stuff scanned one of these days before it just rots to before nothing. It falls because apart. It, yeah, that newspaper stuff doesn't hold up. It's so brown. And, yeah, that's well, it's the cheapest paper of, of all. Well, speaking of that, I was looking through this issue, and there's several. It's not even the whole panel. There's just several parts where. Like uh, on the very first page, the very first picture, the color is so bright and so vibrant and all. But then I'm yes. looking at Arts and Tripio, and they have this funny faded kind of past pastel color look to them. Yes. And there's another panel with uh, with R2 that's the same way later on. There's several pa- places like this, and you know what I got to thinking? I think I know what it is. Remember back in the day when kids used to play with. Uh, Silly putty and yeah. lift the comics, you know, off the off the. I think I must have done that with this issue and taken silly putty to it and like lifted the comic because there's several spots where there's just like a a faded spot on the page. Well, so. sometimes yeah, that could be that could very well be. And sometimes the printing, you know, wasn't completely consistent, and that page didn't connect with the printing presses as much on that. But yeah, I bet you, I bet you did, man, silly putty it. Uh, the colors on this are very rich. The, in the beginning, the red sea monster is a nice, saturated. Mm-hmm. That's why I love this old, the old comic page. I love the old printing process of comic books above the, the way it looks, and that the sky was constantly changing color. And in, in the sometimes it's like an or you know a sort of orange that fades to yellow. Sometimes it's kind of pink, and I think is time goes on it gets red and blue yep here's what mm-hmm. here's one where it's bright blood red with where and getting like pink at the horizon and then right under it it's blue, blue. You know? yep yeah i'm looking at but the it same works. thing it's great you know i oh, love yeah. it i love the 
every uh, the the and, and and if the story's thin on this one the art is the art is great it's just very detailed there's it's very kinetic everything's it's it, when R2's squirting his oil he's even lifting his leg buddy <laughs> <laughs> I like and the then, pirate before that he yeah, who's reminds- fighting a vampire <laughs> yeah <laughs> he's he's the pirate vampire hunter with his cross in his hand and a wooden stake I like the beret and all that. For some reason, he reminds me of my uncle. The pictures I see of my uncle David in the seventies. This guy uh, reminds yeah, me. He does have a very seventies look to it. He has a green beret sort of <laughs> thing working. Now, what about the big? I don't know that they name it, but the big sh- moss-covered ship that they that they go into the big giant splash page on page fifteen. I always got a Scooby-Doo vibe off of this thing, and I don't know. Was there a Scooby-Doo episode with a big haunted ship or something like that, like the no, Flying Dutchman? No, but it has a, it has a very horror Bernie Wrightson swamp look to yeah. it. You know, the way all the stuff is hang, all the moss is hanging off it, and yeah. stuff like that. I mean, there very well could have been a Scooby-Doo thing. The only Scooby-Doo I can remember with a ship was underwater, and they were in in scuba gear underwater and going through an old like sunken pirate ship or something. Yeah. And, uh, but, uh, no, you, you hit, you nailed it when you said Bernie writes. And as soon as you said Bernie writes, I was like, yep, yep. That is, a, yeah, that is very much what this reminds me of. Yeah. And Luke's pretty stylized in this, but he still, he gets a, he, he gets him down, you know, he's got him, he's got him down and he's definitely getting better at drawing three PO. And three PO yes. face. He's putting more of the de- the right like detail to three PO's nose and stuff. So, and the, and on page twenty two, there's a shot of the star destroyer that's just awesome. That's a great shot of a star destroyer, even though it's not very detailed on the bottom. I just love it the way it. These two pages drive me crazy because that's a beautiful, beautiful picture, and then right across from it on page twenty three. Now, over the years, I've come to suspect that maybe what we're supposed to be – maybe this picture of, of the Star Destroyer, the last panel on 23, it's is distorting. it supposed to be doing – yeah, stretching out like a Star Trek? I don't Trek. think so because this is way before that you, that became like sort of a going into hyperspace that you would stretch yeah. out like that. I think it's just the – just a, I think he did the forced perspective on it to uh, – or the you know three or what was it called three point perspective on it because yeah. if you see if you see he just made the ship too long because he's following the three point perspective rule if because all the lines point towards that center point just like we learned in art class right but uh yeah it's just the ship's it too long it's yeah it's, it looks like a thin slice of long pizza yeah. or something. <laughs> now I don't know if. Uh, if this is in your issue, but uh, the very next page for me is uh, two pages of, of Marvel Comics house ads. No. And it's it's just worth commenting to me because the there's a picture uh, of uh, the Avengers. It's actually a cover from the Avengers and somewhere in the, like the 170s. And I just, it caught my eye because I just read this issue the other day. I'm, oh, I'm reading some oh, Avengers. No. In my uh, yeah, it's, it's like has... Uh, like a little, it's like broken up into five panels. It's got the yeah. Avengers, Fantastic Four, Defenders. Yeah, yeah, I got all that. Yeah. I'm yeah. looking at a CBR of this just for ease. You know, a scan of this just 
Uh-huh. So I don't have to pull it out of my box, but it's all on yeah, it's all on there. There's a lot of great little ad. There's a lot of Marvel ads in this one. A Howard the, there's a Howard the Duck one. Yeah. Um, there was a, it was either this issue or last issue there was a nice uh Tuma Dracula ad that I got a kick yeah, out of. Yeah, this one has Tuma Dracula, Ghost Rider and Doctor Strange. All on you one can page. Get four pack of original Star Wars figures for ten dollars and forty nine cents. Oh. oh my god. And I, I love the uh the Thor um hostess Twinkie ad too. I always got a kick out of those. It's not the one where he fights the space hillbillies though. That one's a fucking boot if you ever oh, read that. Space billies. Thor, you know Thor. Here he is. Yeah. This, you know, he, he's a god. He speaks very Shakespearean. You know, very, very, you know, that old English. And they've got him sp- fighting space rednecks. It's like how how humiliating for poor Thor. Yeah, I don't, I don't know Where's that I have your a whole Odin now. <laughs> Suddenly dropping this to the low, lowest common denominator type thing for for podcasting. You know, as, as we're wont to do. Jolly's got a great rack in this uh, in this issue, right? Then uh, next to the last page, where she slaps Han Solo. I remember this being uh, something I noticed as a as a prepubescent young person. Yes, well, not only does she have a nice rack, but he's got that. He's actually illustrated the way that her boobs would move her in a brawless way. In that, with that very, you know, as as a comics artist, as probably a frustrated person sexually frustrated person he be, you know comic artists became very good at drawing women and their body parts so you know well, that's saw, a terrible stereotype to perpetuate okay. but you're probably right and the same with the readers too and that goes for the readers too you know <laughs> hey speak for yourself pal and that well look at the next panel you can't tell me when he drew those two panels that that, that he didn't have cheesecake completely on the mind you know the mm-hmm. the next panel look at just the composition of it, and there's and there's that little twinkly thing. Although this time it's coming off Han Solo's hand that he's got held over his mouth. It's this Green Lantern ring. Yeah, glint glint. But uh, and then, JLA and, then, and, then going on. and then Chewbacca on the bottom of that is yelling at the at like one of Tarzan's merry men and uh, Wolverine. He's warning him that an orc is coming to attack them. <laughs> It's Tortellus <laughs> and Green Arrow. Orc! Orc! Well, uh, I love it. Anyway, so that about, uh, I guess that about sums up issue 12. Did you have anything, any other uh, insanely uh, pressing uh, points to make about this? this uh, uh, the only other thing I can say is that, damn, you can tell that this these were some well-loved issues from my childhood. Because, you know, I, I pride myself, along with having a large comic collection, I, I you know me, I mean, I'm super anal retentive about my comics. I take excellent care of them. And, well, you know I, you what's know, funny I, is I was talking to your son the other day. Uh And I don't know what we were talking about, but I was talking about when I would be, when I would go over to your house and I would be reading through your comic collection Mm -hmm. and you had them, you know, because he said something about, oh, well, my dad's got it all organized. And I'm like, well, I'm sure it's organized, you know, really, my comics aren't organized at all. I said, I would drive your dad nuts because I remember, you know, I remember like when I'd read a comic, I'd have to. So you know, you it'd be like splitting a deck of cards, 
and then you know you'd sort of leave it, leave it split so it'd go in the back and it was hard to get comic bags in those days you know we yeah. had a hard time finding out any place where you could buy comic bags so you would save like the bags that you got from the paper bags that you get from the especially from yes. like the the um you know, five and ten cent stores because they would have the bags that were almost fit. You know, exactly for comics and Faze and in Watertown would put the comics in those bags that were like almost perfectly comic sized. So you would keep them in those. You know, just to keep them. You know, keep the elements off. You know, the elements off them and uh, protect them. So you had, you know, you were always even. You know, before the technology to preserve and you know and keep your comics in a I mean you we didn't have comic boxes back then you had all these it was great because you used to live down the, the street from Ames which was a department store and mm -hmm. uh, we'd be able to go out in the back of Ames and when they threw out displays you would just drag them home so you had all these great you know store plastic store displays to keep all your comics on as yep. racks yep it was cheap, cheap comic racks. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, but they were also cool because they were all in great, you know, designed shapes and stuff. Yeah, those were the days, man. But yeah, I'm looking at these issues, and I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm glad nobody can actually see the issues I'm looking at because I, you know, on the one hand, I'm proud, you know, because you can look at it and you can go, damn, you know, he, somebody loved this book because it's they're whipped to shit. Yeah. But on the other hand, I'm like I'm ashamed because it's like oh I should have taken better care of it. You know if if my if my kids were treating their books that I'm buying them today like I treated this, I you know I'd be I'd be pissed and screaming at them. But you know I mean it's just a sign that I loved it's 30 them. Thirty years you look old. At, that that yeah, book I mean, is thirty years old. Year. You're holding your hand. I mean the spines are shot and they're dog-eared. And here's a question: Does your issue on the last uh -huh. page? The, the the Star Destroyer coming out of the Drexel system, does it have the, like, accidentally the notes, the printer's notes for that illustration? Yeah, it sure as hell does. I didn't yeah. even notice that. Yeah, you're right. It says... I've always noticed that on uh, mine, and I just rem and I made one, a mental note. The water planet is one with dark shadow. Behind it is sun and sun's... What? Glow? And sun's glow, yes. Yeah. Oh, you, you, I didn't even catch that. Yeah, it's, you're absolutely it's, it's, right. Yeah, it's it's colorist note. It's notes for the colorist and printer, and and uh, but there's usually even the, I think those are more colorist notes because the printer notes are almost you know illegible. You know, they're just <laughs> letters and numbers and stuff. That's awesome. Yeah, I usually notice that kind of thing too because a lot of. By by this era, I don't think they were doing it anymore. But if you look in a lot of older Marvel comics, on the bottom of pages of you know pages of story, a lot of times it would it would give you little uh, goings on of elsewhere in the Marvel universe. Like you know you might be reading Spider Man, and at the bottom of a page, it would yeah. say uh, Captain America gets kicked in the balls in Avengers number three on sale now. You know and stuff like that. So I usually am on the lookout for that type of thing. So I'm really shocked that I missed that, but that's awesome. Yeah, I didn't I never caught that before. Yeah, that's really cool. Well, once again, you know that that Star Destroyer, you look at it, it, it you know it's, comes to a sharp point and yeah. it's Yeah, he you were right because you said out. that in one of our prior shows that 
you know, your your big standard for the Star Wars comics were how how were the ships drawn and while it is super detailed and really nice looking, it's also completely a different shape from how it was drawn just a couple pages yeah. back, you know. It's like the engine section in the back is kind of thin and slitty instead of round, you know, it, it's like a thin, it's like Cyclops's glasses. Yep. Rather than, uh, you know, a housing for big round engines, circular engines. So, but it didn't matter. It still, it still looks, I, I can still forgive a lot of that, you know. When I was a kid, I didn't really sweat that too much. Because mm-hmm. it was Star Wars. <laughs> I, I definitely I liked this. I, I liked it where it was going, and I, I like how the story was going. And uh, when we talk next week, uh, or excuse me, next month on these issues, um, I'd be curious to see because I, I know that there was somewhere in this story because this story went on for several more issues. I want to say that this story wasn't entirely wrapped up till what was it, fifteen or sixteen, maybe yeah, even a I little bit later like than that. that. And uh, I know that there was at least one issue in this story that I didn't get my hands on for years. So oh, I was right. me freaking crazy. So I, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll be curious to see if I can remember when we get there. Because I think it may have been sure 13. It's the tough one to, to get a hold of. So there was like a nice gap in my story. And that, that drove me crazy. Because these were back in the days, you know, you, you really missed an back, issue. Yeah, you can really get back issues. Yeah, you know, I didn't see my first comic store until Crisis on Infinite Earths was on the stand. So, you know, this is like 85 or 86, you know, so this this these books are coming out in 78. So that tells you, I mean, if you missed an issue, you were just plain screwed, you know, as a as a 10-year-old so kid. Yeah. You know, you couldn't you couldn't order through the mail or, you know, there were no comic shops and you know, there wasn't any internet or and we didn't even have, you know, besides you and I, you know, for each other, we didn't have any buddies to consult and say, hey, what happened in Star Wars number 13? Uh-huh. You know, just, if you missed it, you were screwed, you know. You couldn't go to the chat room and ask what was going on. <laughs> yep. It wasn't spoiled for you six months ahead of yeah. time before it came out either. Well, sometimes it was spoiled a little ahead of the time if the guy at the at the magazine shop didn't would let us get the issue before it came out, like Return <laughs> of the Jedi. That's tr- that's right. That's right. Spoiled. <laughs> oh, you got to tell that. Yeah, when we get when we get there, you got to tell that story because oh, you were a gloating bastard when you oh, got that. Oh my god, that was of- like finding the Holy Grail. Yep. Yep. You did. You you called me and we're just totally gloating. I know everything that happens and you don't. <laughs> Guess what? I've got cuz I couldn't even believe I had it in my hands. But that's another story for another episode. Excellent. Well, are we wrapped up for this one? I think we are. All right. Bye, guys. See you later. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libsen.com where you can download all of our episodes and find our forum to openly and freely discuss topics from this and all other episodes with us and your fellow listeners. TwoTrueFreaks.Libson.com is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot Libson, which is L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. You can email us directly at TwoTrueFreaks at gmail.com. And thanks for listening to the Two True Freaks podcast. <laughs>